Amen. If you take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to John 21, John 21, 18 through 23. John 21, 18 through 23. As we are almost done with the Gospel of John, we are so very close. We're going to take another look at the life of Peter today and also look at the subject or really the question, what about him? Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at somebody else's life and thought, man, if I could just be him, or if I could just be her, or man, they just, they seem to have it all, and then here's my life and that type of thing. Gosh, I, I wish, I wish I could have what they have, or I was doing what they're doing. Well, we're going to look at that a little bit today. I heard a story, I don't know if it's true, but there was this guy, had this old clunker of a car. But um, anyway, he was driving through town, and this guy pulled up right next to him with this brand new, shiny, convertible Corvette. I mean, it was just beautiful. And they were sitting at the, uh, the traffic stop, and the guy was old clunker, didn't even have air conditioners, so the windows were rolled down, and he just said, man, he said, I sure would wish I could have that car. I'll trade you. And he said, let's do it right now. He said, Really? He said, yeah, let's trade. He said, you're not joking. He said, no, man, it's yours, your car. Switch cars, pulls off, and the guy pulls off with the clunker. He thought, man, this is great. He goes about three or four blocks later, and there's blue lights behind him. The Corvette was stolen. So <laughs> you got to be careful what you wish for. But anyway, our main statement is this today. We often understand our calling through comparison to others. We often understand our calling through comparison to others. This is a mistake. Let's look in John 21, verses 18 through 23. Jesus has just restored St. Peter, and then he tells Peter this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go." This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And then notice what Peter says. I just love this. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So, as we come to the end of this gospel, only one more after this, we look at Peter. Peter, we looked last week, has just been restored. He denied Jesus three times. He has just been restored by Jesus three times, being told to go and not just be forgiven, but go and do what I've called you to do. Go and feed my sheep. Which leads us to principle number one. Being forgiven and restored 
is instantaneous, but growing in grace takes time. I want you to think about this glorious moment. I mean, Peter most likely has been in the depths of despair. He's probably revisited that night of betrayal, revisited his moments of denial over and over again, and now he has this glorious moment of forgiveness and restoration with Jesus and then Jesus gives him this prophecy about his life that one day he's going to end up going where he doesn't want to go and he's going to basically die for the glory of God which we're going to look at here in a little bit was a prophecy to Peter that hey listen later you're going to be the kind of man that won't deny me but Peter wasn't that man yet so let's talk about Peter here Again, being forgiven and restored is instantaneous, but growing in grace takes time. It is for certain that Peter was not the man he was just a few days ago. It is for certain that Peter was not the man he was just a few days ago. He has been restored. He has been forgiven. In John chapter 20 and verse 22, Jesus, you will remember, breathes on the disciples and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. These men are different. This is what Paul is speaking of in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So Peter was not the man he was just a few days ago. This is a forgiven man. This is a restored man. This is a man who has been given the Holy Spirit. But Peter was not yet the man he was going to be. Again, being forgiven and restored is instantaneous, but growing in grace takes time. Peter was not yet the man he would... How does this turn off? There we go. Peter was not yet the man he was going to be. It reminds me of what St. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12-13. through 13. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul, believe it or not, when we think of these New Testament heroes like Paul and Peter, we just think that they arrived at this place of Glorious passion and boldness and all of these wonderful things they did. And that's just who they were. No, they grew into that person over time. It was not instantaneous. Even Paul is saying, I've been a man in process. It was for sure that Peter was not the man he was just a few days ago. But Peter was not yet the man he was going to be either. I find it interesting that after this glorious moment of restoration... Peter, I forgive you. Peter, I'm still going to use you. Peter, guess what? When I'm done with you, you will go out for the glory of God. It's going to be amazing. And the Peter's first thing that he says after this glorious moment of restoration and hope, Peter says, well, what about that guy over there? Well, Peter was not yet the man he was going to be. In fact, Peter could not even recognize the blessing and glory Jesus gave him. He wasn't there yet. Could you imagine this moment of restoration? This moment of forgiveness? 
It's almost like after Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times and then tells Peter to feed his sheep, tend his sheep, feed his sheep. It's like, let's just stop here and savor this moment of just the kindness of God. But Peter doesn't stop there. Peter just says, well, what about my brother over there? And it just shows me something about Jesus. It shows me something about Jesus that he begins working on us long before we can even see what he's making this to be. So being forgiven and restored is instantaneous, but growing in grace takes time. I'm sure you've seen that in your own life and also those around you. Also, the principle number two is this. Early on, blessings may seem like burdens. Early on, blessings may seem like burdens. Let's look again in verses 18 and 19. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus's prophecy over Peter doesn't sound like a blessing. I mean, think about this for a moment. It's like Peter wasn't asking for a word from Jesus, but let's just assume for a minute that he was. Jesus, can you tell me about my future? Sure, I'll tell you about your future. One day, somebody else is going to have to dress you because you're going to be in chains, you're going to be an old man, and then they're going to put you to death. Oh, okay, well, do you, anybody else there with a word for me? You know, like, I, I would like something a little different. Jesus' prophecy over Peter does not sound like a blessing. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. Jesus revealing your future to you. Well, you're going to die, and it's going to be hard. Okay, uh, how do I process this? And even in view of God's glory, it still doesn't sound like a blessing, even though it was. Even though Jesus tacks on there, or John does here, he said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. It's likely that when Jesus said this, nobody truly understood what was going on here. But John's gospel was written after the death of Peter. And John is writing this down and he's giving a clarification that this is a prophecy of the kind of death that Jesus is going to allow Peter to die. So, even in view of God's glory, this future prophecy of Peter's life doesn't really sound like a blessing. But it leads to this next thing. Because remember, early on, blessings may seem like burdens. But Jesus' prophecy over Peter would become a blessing which led to boldness. Jesus' prophecy over Peter would become a blessing which led to boldness. I want you to remember in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, Peter and John, interesting, the two characters we find here, the disciple of whom Jesus loved, whom we understand to be John. Peter and John were preaching in the name of Jesus, and they were arrested by the Jews and brought before the Sanhedrin. In Acts 4.13, the members of the Sanhedrin says the text says this 
Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and recognized that they had been with Jesus. I want you to think about this point. Jesus' prophecy over Peter would become a blessing which led to boldness. Now we know the story. Pentecost comes, and after receiving the Holy Spirit from Jesus, they receive the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and they go out and they begin to do ministry and power in the name of Jesus. And they act in boldness. And this will not be the first time that Peter is arrested. In fact, there's another time which is written about in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And the scripture says this, About that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John. That's Peter, James, and John. This is the James of that three. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Sounds like Jesus. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains in centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. This must have been a hard sleep, because look what the angel has to do. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, I love that, he's still not awake yet, when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Now, this is a strange story. Peter is thrown in prison. There's a couple details I want you to see, and we want to trace it back to John 21. James has been put to death by the sword. Peter has been told... Okay, after Passover, I'm going to bring you out in front of the people and essentially put you to death as well. So he is locked in prison. He is between two guards. 
and he is in a sound, sound sleep. I want you to ask yourself this question. If you knew you were about to be violently put to death in 12 hours, could you be able to sleep so soundly, chained to two other men, that when a great light came into your room, you would have to be struck to be woken up? Like, how deep was this sleep? I've often wondered as I've read this story, I don't know how heaven works, but I wonder if God like tells some angel and says, hey, listen, I want you to go down there and go and release Peter from his cell. I don't know, maybe it was a newbie angel or something like that. He, he shows up in the cell and he's like, I'm here! I'm here, it's time to leave. Totally asleep. Slaps the guy. Wake up, I'm here to deliver you. Why is Peter sleeping so soundly in his cell? I can't prove it, but I think about John 21. Peter, here, was still a young man. What did Jesus tell him? Do you remember? When you are old... Somebody is going to take you, and you will lay down your life for me. But Peter's sitting here in prison, and he's thinking, now the Lord told me one day I was going to be old, and I'm not old. You know what? Things are going to be okay. You know, early on, blessings may seem like burdens. John was told, maybe you'll live forever, maybe you won't, we don't know. However, Peter was told, no, you're going to live to an old man and then you're going to die for me. Which means until that time, think of the boldness that this prophecy created in Peter. I'm sure at the moment when Peter heard that he was going to have to lay down his life for Jesus as an old man was not thrilling, but later on, it proved to be a blessing over and over again as Peter surely revisited this moment and remembered what the Lord had done for him. So early on, blessings may seem like burdens. Have you ever asked that? Lord, why does it have to be this way in my life? Why do I have this problem? Why do I have this difficulty? Why do I face these challenges? But then later on, it proves to be a blessing. Principle number three is this. What Jesus is doing in others is not between them and Him. It's up to Him. I want you to look down in verse number 20 through 22. Peter saw, turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against Him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Notice what Jesus did not say to Peter. When Peter looks at John and says, Well, what about him? Jesus does not say, well, listen, that's between him and me. No, Jesus says, Peter, if it's my will that he remains, what is that to you? 
Now you do my will, you go and follow me. Friends, don't resent God's blessing or blessings in someone else's life. Don't resent God's blessings in someone else's life. What God is doing in someone else is exactly that. And you can rest assured that He is also at work in your life. One sure way to miss what God is doing in the moment of your life is to be worried how He is working in someone else's life. Again, one sure way to miss what God is doing in the moment of your life is to be worried how He is working in someone else's life. Think of how it might have been after Jesus had uttered this prophecy about Peter that when you're old, you're going to go and lay down your life for me. That would have been a great time to ask a clarifying question. Like, well, how old? (laughs) Or where exactly will that be? But Peter is so focused on what is going on in John's life that he's actually missing the blessing that is being given to him right there in the moment. And he missed out on this opportunity to ask Jesus for further clarity or further word on what Jesus was doing in his life. Which brings me to this final thing today, which is we are a part of God's plan. He is not a part of ours. We are a part of God's plans. He is not a part of ours. There's a passage of Scripture I want to look at and I think about. This is a verse of Scripture that I think most of us have probably heard before. Jeremiah 29, 11. If I just started it, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord your God. You know that. But this is Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. There's a couple things I want to point out here in Jeremiah 29. For thus says the Lord... When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. In Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 29 is actually a letter that Jeremiah is writing to the people who are in exile. And in this letter, he tells them, he says, listen, there are those among you who are prophets or claim to be prophets who are saying that they've got a word from God or a vision from God that don't worry about being in captivity. This will be over quick. You're going to go back to Israel and God's going to reignite the kingdom and it's going to be glorious. Don't worry about this whole Babylon nonsense because God is not going to allow his people to be vanquished, vanquished, stuff like that. And Jeremiah tells them, no, that's not how this works. He says to them, 
you're going to be in Babylon. And you're going to be in Babylon for a long time. In fact, he says, you need to seek the welfare of the city of Babylon. You need to build houses, plant gardens, plant vineyards, and make a life there because you're going to be there a long, long time. So that is what happens before verse number 10. Before they're ever told that I know the plans I have for you, they are told, listen, you're not going back to Jerusalem for 70 years. You're going to be there a long time, so you might as well settle down and build some houses and build a garden. And I am sure that the people hearing this prophecy from Jeremiah, hearing this clarification, even though they've got in one ear people telling them, no, don't worry about this, we're going to go back, it's going to all work out because God's not going to allow His chosen people to be vanquished. No, no. I'm sure this prophecy sounded like a dud from Jeremiah. What do you mean we're not going back home? What do you mean we're going to be here for 70 years? What do you mean I have to build a house among these pagan people? What do you mean I have to make a life here and my children have to be here in Babylon and be here amongst the Babylonian education and the Babylonian economy and all of this paganism. I have to make my life here. What do you mean it has to be this way? This, this can't be God's will. And Jeremiah's response is this. Listen, I know the plans I have for you. Hear this with new ears. After he tells them, you're going to go and live a hard life in Babylon for 70 years but I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Just like Peter, the prophecy they were given they could not appreciate in the moment. They were so focused on the here and now. I just want to go home. I just want the kingdom to be restored as it was. They were so focused on the immediate need that they were missing the blessing of the prophecy in front of them that would ultimately lead to their boldness. We are a part of God's plans. He is not a part of ours. And while it may seem in the moment like Peter what God is doing in your life doesn't stack up really good to what God is doing in something that someone else's. But given time, you'll look back and you will say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for working in my life the way that you said. We often understand our calling through comparison to others. And I'm telling you, this is a mistake. God's calling in your life is His story in you. And it would not work any other way if your story was mine or my story was yours. But rest assured, He's working in all of us. Will you pray with me today? Lord, when we think about Your will for our lives and the future, Lord, for some of us, if we were told the future, we really wouldn't want to accept it. We would be like Peter. But that is because we're not who we're going to be. Because in you, the future is only good. The future is for our welfare. It's for our good to give us a hope and to give us the future.
So Lord, will you help us grow in today? And help us as we are so focused on the immediate moment to look a little further down the horizon and trust that regardless of what we see here in the moment, that you really know what you're doing and you really do have the best future for us in mind that you're leading us towards in a way that we might glorify you. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen and amen.